Welcome to Meatspad, a platform to share breakthrough knowledge that is accessible to the entire meat industry. Be ready to hear from meat specialists who will talk about numerous topics in meat science, including animal welfare, meat production, meat quality, and so much more. Hello folks, welcome again to the Meatspad podcast. I'm Francisco Nohari, I'm your host today. This week it's a pleasure to have Dr. Elizabeth Boyle. She is a professor and meat science extensionist specialist at Kansas State University. And this week we'll be discussing about storage times of pork carcasses after harvest. The reason we're doing this this week is because we received some questions from small pork processors. This research was conducted at Kansas State University a couple of years ago. I had the pleasure to help with this project and part of my own master's thesis. In addition, this research has been published in the Journal of Meat Muscle Biology. I'll be copying the link on the description of the podcast. But welcome, Dr. Boyle. Thank you for being here today. Uh, before we start with this conversation, would you tell us a little bit about your background and, and uh, some of your roles at K-State? Sure. Thank you, Francisco. I've been at K-State for over 25 years as an extension meat science specialist. And in that role, I work with processors across the state with questions they have related to meats and meat science. Those questions could be associated with food safety, shelf life, quality attributes, safety attributes of products, I work a lot with companies with respect to HACCP and HACCP deviations, HACCP training, training associated with good manufacturing practices and sanitation practices, work with processors on nutrition labeling. So really this position is dedicated to providing a resource to the meat industry to help them with technical questions that they may encounter. Thank you, Dr. Wall, for sharing that. This episode is dedicated to sharing the outcome of this research. To start this conversation, would you please tell us a little bit about why is this research important to the meat industry? And also, what were some of the objectives of this research? Sure. So this topic came about because there was a question posed by a processor called me up and asked me if I had any data to support the microbial quality of pork carcasses held for an extended time. Recognize this was a very small plant and typically in the pork industry, when animals are harvested, they're going to be chilled overnight, fabricated the following day, and they're out the door. That isn't always the case with very small plants where a carcass may be harvested and the pork carcass may be held for a week or two weeks, or possibly up to three weeks before the pork is fabricated into parts and pieces and moved further along in the processing chain. So when I started looking at literature to answer the question for this processor, I found there really was very little data at that time available. So it it seemed to be a need that needed to be filled in order to help the small processors, processing businesses identify how long can I really hold this pork carcass? For example, at K-State, we have a USDA meat processing facility and that facility is dedicated to teaching and research. And in visiting with our meat lab manager, I found that 
yes, we often can hold a pork carcass for 14 days or 21 days because the carcass is used as a tool for teaching in a variety of different classes. So students may be looking at this carcass and it's going in and out of the cooler on different days for different classes um, in order for the carcass to be viewed. And following that period of time, then the carcass would be fabricated. And we, we didn't have any data to support the microbial quality of the subsequent product from that carcass. So I thought about setting up a study on looking at this microbial quality, which is why we identified holding a pork carcass for up to 21 days sampling the carcass, and then fabbing product from that carcass, vacuum packaging it, and holding it for a period of time to look at the quality of the subsequent product from that carcass. So now I will go over a brief description of the study design. Then we'll talk about the results as well as part of the other discussion. To start off, we used 20 hogs for this experiment that were harvested at the Kansas State University Meat Laboratory. Our facility is usually inspected. In our facility, we utilize electrical stunning to stun the animals. We have a zero tolerance inspection that was conducted to visually inspect for feces, milk, and ingesta on pork carcasses. Upon the completion of the processing steps, the pork carcasses were stored for up to 21 days in a carcass cooler that averaged 32 degrees Fahrenheit with uh, approximately a relative humidity of 87.3%. Also, we separated the sampling areas uh, into three anatomical locations, including the jowl, the shoulder, and the flank. And we sampled these locations on four different storage days. We sampled on day one, seven, 14, and 21. And we evaluated the samples for aerobic plate counts, anaerobacterius HEA, yeast, and malt populations, as well as pH and moisture content. It's worth mentioning that we look at the overall spoilage microorganisms on the surface of the pork carcasses. We did not look for any pathogens. After the 21 day, the pork carcasses were fabricated. The Boston butts were removed from the pork carcasses. Each Boston butt from each carcass was cut into six one-inch thick uh, pork blade steaks. These blade steaks were vacuum packaged and stored for an additional 35 days. And it's important to mention that we did this because um, if you think about, okay, if there's people out there, maybe small or medium-sized pork processors, Holding carcasses for up to 21 days, the truth of the matter is the likelihood of those subprimals of the steaks or the chops out of that, it's very likely that they're going to store for an additional days after they fabricated those animals. Therefore, the objective of the second phase of this research was, okay, we remove the Boston bugs out of those carcasses that were hung for 21 days. And now with a shelf left of those. And now we move into the results and discussion portion of this research. For the carcass data, what we found was that moisture content decreased over time, which we were expecting because we know we have airflow going to the cooler. I mean, that has an impact on the dehydration of the surface of the carcasses. So after 21 days, that's something typical. And then talking about pork carcass pH. It remained the same from day one to day 14, 
with a slight decrease on day 21, but overall the pH range from 5.7 to 5.88. And then when we look from a microbiology standpoint, APC counts, which APC stands for aerobic plate counts, which is looking at the whole microorganisms on the surface of the carcass. So here we don't discriminate by pathogens, so it's looking at the whole microflora. But here we found that overall, during this 21-day storage time, we found that APC counts remained the same. They didn't change from day one to day 21. However, when we start looking at the anatomical locations, we found that JAL had a higher APC counts. This location tended to be more contaminated. And one of the speculations that we had as to why this occurred, why we found this increase, looking back to our process, we have this hot water intervention that we spray. Due to gravity, water will reside on this area, and therefore we have opportunity for those microorganisms to grow. Additionally, we tend to handle or to move the carcasses from one area to another area. And a lot of time we use the gel, there might be another potential opportunity for contamination to occur. But overall, the APC growth on the pore carcass surface was relatively low. And the range was between 1 and 1.2 log CFUs. And what does log CFU mean? So CFU means colony forming units. And when you start looking at other literature, talking about bacterial growth in meat, they always refer this bacterial growth as logs. We think about me being at one or two logs, it means very fresh. On the other hand, when you reach seven or eight logs, and again, it really depends on the, on the author of the book, but normally when you reach seven or eight logs, you see a lot of the slime formation, uh, off flavor development, you start seeing like this spoilage is occurring. So this is not optimal. And for the other microorganisms that we evaluated, for example, Enterobacteriaceae, yeast, and mob populations, their growth remained very, very slow during this study. Now we're moving to the second part of the study. So here we have the vacuum package for place takes that we took from the carcasses that were already hung for 21 days. Here in this chef lab study, we stored the pork blade steaks for an additional 35 days in a vacuum bag. And what we found here was very interesting because at the end of the chef lab study, at day 35, we had five locks for APC population. Looking back to our threshold that I talked earlier, this is below seven or eight logs that we know this is where bacteria start to form slime and an off flavor development overall hanging carcasses for 21 days under these conditions and then we remove the boston butts cut them into blade stakes store them for an additional 35 days in the vacuum bag these results indicate that we may do this without compromising the quality of the meat and now that we went over the results of this study, Dr. Boyle, would you please talk a little bit about the implications of this data and how may pork processors use this data? Implications of the data are that it provides supporting documentation for processors who might hold carcasses for an extended period of time. If they're asked by 
an auditor or a regulator asking for supporting documentation on how, show me data that says it's okay to hold it for this length of time. Now, given we didn't look at pathogens, so we didn't look at salmonella growth on the carcass because that wasn't the intent of the study. This, the carcasses were refrigerated the whole time. The, so I wouldn't expect salmonella growth to be an issue as long as the temperature was below 40 degrees during this entire study, which it was. So our primarily focus was on spoilage organisms. And this now provides these very small businesses who might hold a pork carcass for an extended period of time, some supporting documentation to say, if I hold it at this time and this temperature under these relative humidity conditions, I can be fairly sure based on the statistics associated with the study that I won't exceed two or three logs on this carcass by the time it's fabricated. So Dr. Boyle, what is actually supporting documentation? The supporting documentation is having scientific research that supports decisions that you've made for your business. We typically think of supporting documentation associated with a HACCP plan or a food safety plan. And in this particular case, why this study was initiated, a, very, a processor in a very small business had been approached by regulatory authorities asking for supporting documentation on how they can, to justify how they hold a pork carcass for an extended period of time. So a processor would do that by looking in the literature or finding data to support that it's okay, that the, the quality attributes of the carcass are maintained even if I hold this pork carcass for 14 days. And because that data wasn't available in the literature when we started the study, we initiated it and now the processor would have that supporting documentation to share with regulators, to share with auditors, to share with others who request information that scientifically supports the decision to hold the carcass for an extended period of time. Thank you, Dr. Brolin. We do have an extra question for you. How can poor processors find an extension specialist like you? Okay. So, the question of how do people find an extension specialist when they have questions, or if they're, if they're not sure who to reach out to, how can they locate someone who can help them? Well, one of the roles of an extension specialist is to make the industry aware that our resources are available. And that could be through one-on-one -on -one contacts where the extension specialist, maybe when they first get into their role in their position, reach out to plants, visit plants, work with local trade associations. So for example, in Kansas, I've developed a close relationship with the Kansas Meat Processors Association and those processors who are members of the association have become aware that our resources at Kansas State University are available. Having a website that provides provides information is a useful tool. So if someone starts searching online to answer questions, maybe they run across you through online resources. Developing that personal relationship is really important. And so in my role, I've made it a point over the time that I've been at Kansas State University 
to interact with the processors through workshops, at meetings, at conventions, at our annual Cured Meats contest, so that they feel comfortable in working with me and can reach out and have really no qualms about picking up the phone and calling a number. Now for newer processors who may just be entering into the system or into their business and may not be aware of resources, a lot of times they, may, they might reach out to their local Department of Agriculture. And that's another resource to, uh, to use. And when an extension specialist is in their position, they typically develop relationships with the state government so that when people contact, for example, Kansas Department of Agriculture, if it's not a regulatory question, but more a technical type question that the processor suit needs assistance with, they'll often say, you need to reach out to Dr. Boyle. Here's her phone number, here's her email. Reach out to her, she'll work with you. So there's a lot of different avenues that processors will learn of their resources, and I encourage them to take advantage of all the resources available to them. All right, thank you, Dr. Bull, for being here today. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, thank you a lot. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed visiting with you, Francisco. Thank you, folks, for listening to the Meets Path podcast. With this, we end episode number four. For the following episodes, be ready because we will have a special guest who will discuss about many hot topics, including things to consider when expanding our slaughter capacity. We'll also talk about the importance of the quality in terms of freshness when we procure meat, especially when doing further processing. But we'll also talk about meat color and packaging and a lot, a lot more. Now, you can go online and subscribe at our website, www.meatspad.com, and you will receive free ebooks containing valuable information about our podcast. Thank you very much, and we'll see you on the next episode.